We're in 2 Timothy tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 is where we're going to begin. This is part 10 of our study through the book of 2 Timothy. Part 10 begins here right now. And if you're here for the first time or if you've been MIA for a while and you have no idea what's going on because you've missed the first nine parts, I'll give you a, a brief introduction and synopsis of what happened last time in 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is writing this story sometime between 64 and 67 AD. This is his second Roman imprisonment. And unlike his first Roman imprisonment occurring between 60 and 62 AD, in which he was really under house arrest more than anything else, this imprisonment, he is in a dungeon. It is less than ideal living uh, living situation. He will shortly die at the conclusion of this letter and be martyred. This letter has often been referred to as his last will and testament. So if you can imagine for a second what he's feeling, what he's going through, knowing most likely the impending death that he will suffer at the hands of the Romans for his Christian faith. If you're, if you're having a bad week, I imagine it's probably not quite as bad as what Paul is facing right now. And so he writes this letter to a young man, Timothy. He knows him very well. He's mentored him. He's discipled him. Timothy is a young pastor in the church in Ephesus, modern day, western Turkey. And he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy. The, the theme, as we say, is he's writing this letter to Timothy to persevere in the faith no matter what. To keep going in his Christian walk, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how busy he might be, no matter how challenging or how much opposition he might face to keep going. And of course, Timothy's struggling. Timothy's at a a low point, you might say, in his Christian walk. And, and we hit those low points. Sometimes we're at high points and we're more zealous, and other times we're, we're at low points, and we have to struggle through those moments. And Timothy's at such a point, and he's encouraging him to, to keep going, to keep persevering in the previous section in verses 1 to 9 we learn that there are some very bad people at Timothy's church very very bad people who and this is why it's so dangerous because they're very sneaky they're very sneaky and they give off an appearance of godliness but there's nothing godly about them they oppose the truth they oppose all truth. They pose the truth and they mislead other people. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. But Timothy is very much not like these people. Timothy, as we pick up today in chapter 3, verse 10, he's quite the opposite, as we'll see. You, verse 10 of chapter 3, you, Timothy... You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So unlike Timothy, unlike these other guys who are, who have infiltrated your church there in Ephesus, who don't follow my teaching, in fact, they oppose the truth, you are following. You're following. Timothy, if you think about it, he's got excellent training. 
excellent training, some of the best training. He knows firsthand what it takes to deal with this type of situation. He knows what it takes to keep going and persevere. And this was not a time for him to fail under difficult circumstances. You might be facing difficult circumstances. Okay? Maybe you can relate a little bit with this. There's no time for him to give up. There's no time for him to quit. No time for him to fail under the pressure of his life and circumstances that he's dealing with. When you think about the training that he's received, the training he's received, think about the disciples. The disciples are personally taught, personally mentored, personally um, instructed by Jesus. But other than them, I can't think of another Christian who probably has had as great an example as great a teacher as Timothy had in the Apostle Paul. This guy's got some good training. And so he says, you, however, have followed. You've followed my teaching. The word literally means to accompany. So you followed, you've accompanied. In ancient Greece, the philosophers would use the term follow. The English term here in our Bibles, they'd use that term to describe the, the close relationship between a teacher and his student, between a teacher and, and his disciple. You, Timothy, have followed my teaching. As one commentator describes it, he says, it means to follow a person physically, to, to stick by him through thick and thin, to be by his side, In fair weather and in foul weather, it means to follow a person mentally, to attend diligently to his teaching and fully understand the meaning and the significance of what he says. It means to follow a person spiritually, he goes on to say, not only to understand what he's saying, but also to carry out his ideas and to be the kind of person that he wishes to be. Timothy, you've followed my teaching. Well, he's being commended here, and rightly so. It's very similar. It reminds me a lot, and maybe it reminds you a lot, of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So like, here's Paul. He's saying to Timothy, look, I'm following Jesus. Say, you see this example? I'm following Jesus. You you follow me. And that's, that's what he's doing. He's following him. And when it comes to, to following, I think oftentimes we, we think of this aspect of discipleship as something that's rather automated, just going to happen, because after all, everything is just a click away or a touch of an app screen. Just boom, boom, it's done. So I think when we approach this and we see this, oh yeah, he's following him. Sometimes I think the mentality is, is this is just something that'll happen. It's very automatic. It's very automatic. Now, I, I might say, well, I might say that I've been indirectly, and, and I'll clarify this in a second, but I've been indirectly discipled or influenced at the very least by John Piper. If you're here, you, you know that's true. He's, he's played a big part in my life. But imagine if I said that. Like, oh yeah, he's, if he had to follow somebody or pick somebody, you know, to be influenced by, it'd be John Piper's. And imagine if you come to me and you say, all right, well, what's your favorite Piper book? And I said, well, I haven't read any. Okay, well, what's your favorite sermon? I haven't seen any. Well, what's something that he teaches or says that you like? Oh, I don't really know. 
okay, like, like, I, what are you saying then? I think oftentimes in our approach, in our Christian life, we think about following the example perhaps of someone else. We think of it as this automatic thing that happens. But when you understand the implications of him following, like it means to be the type of person to follow a person spiritually, not only to understand what he says, but to carry out such ideas, to attend diligently to the teachings of that person, to fully understand the meaning and the significance of what he says. So you'd say, okay, if that's the case, you you don't follow him what at whatsoever, right? And we understand this, right? In this type of teacher-student relationship, you you wouldn't think that was true at all. But oftentimes, when it comes to following an example before us, that's us. It's us. We're not really following anyone. Rather, we're just in this kind of comatose spiritual state um, where we check the box once a week and warm a pew. That's it. But no, he says, you followed my teaching. Listen, there's always the temptation of Whatever it may be, put yourself in that application box. Timothy's facing temptations. He's facing challenges. He's facing struggles right now. I think oftentimes we put these Bible characters on certain pedestals and we have these unrealistic ways in which we think about them. And in reality, I think we, we have much more in common with them. Timothy's a pastor who struggles, who faces temptations, who's prone to be afraid. He's prone to be afraid. He's prone to worry. And, and Paul knows that. And yet Paul seems to know that with the proper motivation, with the proper encouragement, with the proper, here's a really key word, reliance on the Lord, we'll worry about that in a second, that Timothy could regain the former commitment that he has, his former zeal. I say regain the former commitment because if you've been following this story throughout the last few weeks, you know in chapter 1, he says, Timothy, God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of self-control. Timothy, you need to fan into flame the gift of God that's been given to you. God's given you certain gifts to use. You need to use them. Timothy's at a low point in his life spiritually. He's struggling. We hit those low points. It's not a matter of really of if, but when. We're going to hit those, those hard points. But it's not okay to just stay in those valleys. Oftentimes we think, well, we'll just stay there. It's not okay to stay there. This letter's about persevering through those difficult times, those difficult circumstances. If you don't believe me, remember who the guy is writing this letter, and he's in prison, and he's facing imminent death. No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Press forward. Go through them. No, he knows with the proper encouragement, the proper reliance upon the Lord, Timothy can, can get through this, this kind of low point. That he's experiencing. He, they, can, they can do that. The proper encouragement, the proper reliance upon the Lord. I mean, you read verse 10 and, and you think about it now with the implications. I don't know, I almost feel like there's Paul, like he's on the sidelines and he's like, you, Timothy, you followed my teaching, you followed my conduct and my aim in life and my faith and my patience and my love and my steadfastness. Like, keep going, you can do this, keep going. And it's not, you can do this because you're awesome, you can do this because our God is awesome. Don't miss that. Otherwise, it's just a lesson in positive thinking. 
No, your God is awesome. Why? Because you struggle with fear. That's the thing that you struggle with. With Someone else in here, you might struggle with something else. You might be facing something else that's bringing you down or really pushing you in your faith, right? doesn't matter. You struggle with fear. You struggle with something else. Just put something else in the, in the blank. But he struggles with fear. Timothy does. So he tells Timothy, what? Oh, you can do this, Timothy. You're awesome. Nope. He tells him in chapter 1, Timothy, God doesn't give you a spirit of Fear, but of power and of love, of self-control. So keep going, right? Because God's provided for you. God's done for you what only God can do. Keep going, Timothy. Keep following the example that I have. Not because you're awesome, but because your God is awesome, Timothy. Don't miss that, guys. Don't miss that. You're not awesome. But your God is. Your God is. And he's not going to call you to persevere in the faith and then not supply you with the things that you need. No. Power of love and of self-control. Oh. So keep going. Keep going. Timothy's followed him. He's followed him. And I, I have to ask the question, like, for many of us, I don't think we're, we're properly doing this. We're not. I don't, I don't think we are. See, I want to make disciples. I want to make disciples. Jesus tells us to make disciples. I want to make disciples. Okay, I don't think you can effectively make disciples if you're not being discipled. So if Timothy's following Paul, which he is, my question is, who are you following? When I was an undergrad student, nobody. I didn't think about the implications of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. I was too busy thinking about other things. We want to make disciples? Good. We should. But I don't think we can effectively make disciples if we ourselves are not being discipled, which raises the question, then who are we following? What's the example before us? Do we even have an example before us? Because I think many of us don't. But we should. And I think it begins within the local church. Begins in the local church. Hebrews chapter 13, 7 says this. This is why I'm arguing this way. Remember your leaders. Who are they? Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's why I would say John Piper, at the least, or at the most, has indirectly influenced and discipled me because I can't do Hebrews 13.7 with Piper, right? Like, I can only kind of see him at a, at a glimpse and a distance, and that's something that these people didn't, I don't think, necessarily dealt with to the same extent that we did, right, with celebrity pastors. And people say, well, I, I don't have a Hebrews 13.7 example, Right? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. I can't do that with Piper because I can't see him in his daily life. I missed that opportunity. I know a lot of people did growing up. For me, when I went to Liberty, it was, and we live very much in this generation of celebrity pastors. And, and that's not a bad thing because through media and the internet, we're able to watch just amazing sermons that we wouldn't otherwise have access to. And it's very beneficial, but it only takes us so far. And there's an element that we're missing. Hmm. 
So I talk to people. I say, are you part of a local church? Well, yeah, I go here. Okay. Well, are you doing this? Are you following the example of the godly men there at your local church? Well, no. Why not? How long have you gone to the church? Well, four years. Well, how many conversations have you had with the pastor? None. Well, it's a big church. Okay. Fair enough. Well, what about some big churches have multiple pastors and multiple leaders to help meet this demand? Well, no. So you've gone to this church for four years. You've never had a conversation with the pastor or any pastors or any leaders. One of two possibilities. Brother, either you're at the wrong church and there's not the emphasis on discipleship that there should be in this 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 model of be imitators of me as I am of Christ, follow me as I'm following Christ. Or two, you've just wasted four years of your life where you should have been pursuing good godly men or good godly women and you haven't. One of the two possibilities. You want to make disciples? That's great. You want to make disciples effectively? You can't do that unless you yourself are being discipled. So who is your Paul? Who's your Paul? You, Timothy, have followed my teaching. Oh, by the way, my conduct, right? Because I can't do that with the celebrity pastor, right? Because I don't get to see what his life is like or the celebrity multiple pastor or whatever. But I... Timothy, you've seen my conduct. You've seen how I live in my everyday. My daily living. You've seen that. You've observed that. You've witnessed that. Sometimes this is worth more than 20 good sermons. Just by allowing people into one's life to model what right looks like. I can just hear Chandler right now. He's like, young dudes, don't waste your time. Like, take your time. Pursue older guys. Pursue guys in different stages of life. Get in their way. Just be like, yo, can I hang out with you? Get in their way so that you can do this. Same is true for young ladies. You've followed my conduct, my, my daily living. Oh, by the way, you followed my aim in life. My aim, so that word there, right there, aim. Another way you could say that is purpose, but, but this really refers to a single-minded commitment to Christ. Okay, when he says my aim, think, think. Okay, my aim, my aim in what? My aim and my commitment to Christ. Listen, we have a lot of commitments. A lot of commitments. Many of us waver on the one commitment that should be above and before all others. So what happens is, when the poop hits the fan, as we say in the army, when things get rough, when schedules get really busy, when things keep me up at night crying that I don't tell the people about, my aim gets demoted. My aim, that single mind commitment of following Christ gets pushed aside. Oh, Timothy, Timothy, you followed my aim. You followed my aim in the commitment to follow Jesus. Oh, that we might all be like Timothy in this regard. It's so easy that 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 single-minded commitment to God, to his word, oh, by the way, to the people of God, just gets pushed aside. Doesn't take much. Just gets pushed aside. We call it priorities. We call it time management. You want to have good time management? Oh, man, people take classes for time management. You want to do good at time management? Lock this down. First and foremost, just lock this down. 
my aim, my single-minded commitment to Christ above and before anything and everything else. There is such a temptation when you wake up in the morning not to go to your knees in prayer, not to open the pages of the book, but to take care of your other commitments on Twitter, on Facebook, on whatever website. doesn't take much. I'm not saying you're sinning if you do that, but I'm saying I think many of us just struggle. And it's okay. Timothy's struggling. Timothy's at a point in his life where he's struggling right now. He's a pastor. And as a pastor, I relate to that. But the point is not, okay, you suck because you struggle. The point is, Don't stay at that point. Like, keep going. Keep persevering. Get out of the rut that you're in. Why? Because God's already enabled you to get out of the rut. You followed my aim. Oh, by the way, you followed my faith. My faith. Faith in what? You might ask. Sometimes people say, what do you do as a pastor? I tell them, I just read the Bible really slowly. So all I'm doing up here, like on Sundays, I just read the Bible slowly. Because we read it, we just miss all these things. Follow my faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Why? Because of who He is. Do you not know who He is? He said it in, in, in chapter 2, verse 8. My faith. My faith in God. Why? Because of who He is. Who is He? He is the resurrected new King. We put our faith in a lot of things, right? In Trump. Trump we trust. In Hillary we trust. In the Democratic Party we trust. In the Republican Party we trust. Or whatever it may be. You want to put your faith in something rock solid? Put your faith in the resurrected new king. That'll hold. That'll hold when things Don't go the way you want them to when you face opposition. That will hold when your boat is thrown and tossed aside because you're having the weak from, well, you know where. That will hold. Oh, you followed me, Timothy, in my faith. Faith in God. Oh, by the way, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. Patience and love, those are good things, especially when we exercise them. Easy to exercise patience and love toward people that we like. Right? The people sitting to our left or right. But man, those people sitting like three rows behind us or three rows in front of us. Or maybe the people that aren't here tonight. Or that person that I live with. Oh, they're so hard. Well, those are exactly the sort of people you need to exercise such patience and love towards. It doesn't take much to love someone that you get along with and you hang out with, but it's much more difficult to exercise that same patience and that love toward the person that sometimes is just difficult to love. But you follow me in that example, Timothy. Okay? Right? The awkward person who you're wondering, like, where they got their social skills. You know them. I'm guessing Timothy's probably experienced his own you followed me in that example, Timothy. You've been a good example. 
Oh, by the way, you followed me in my steadfastness. I like this word because this word right here at the end of verse 10 really encapsulates this theme of the narrative of 2 Timothy, this idea to persevere in the midst of suffering. So you followed me in steadfastness, or another way to say you followed me in endurance, steadfastness. So this word right here, it describes the attitude of the person that keeps pressing onward in the midst of discouragement and trying circumstances. They're steadfast. Oh, but things are hard. Things, things are just so hard. Yeah, I know. You're steadfast, Timothy. You followed me in this example. So keep doing it, Timothy. You know, part of the problem that we're still trying to fix, and still a problem, we're still trying to fix this, is this, this prosperity gospel message of health, wealth, prosperity, that the Christian life will be filled with butterflies and lollipops and cotton candy. And here's the thing, if that was the case, it would matter zero that he's following him in steadfastness. Just cross that out of your Bible. Don't need to have steadfastness if the Christian life is easy. He's painting a picture here. Don't miss it. Verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings, it's getting real, that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Timothy's most likely from the city, Lystra, Lystra, however you want to pronounce it. That's where he's from. If any of you have read through the book of Acts lately, <coughs> then in chapter 14 you may remember where he heals Paul, the crippled man, only after this happens to be stoned and left for dead outside the city. It's quite possible that Timothy personally witnessed that incident. But he would have been well aware of, having been mentored by the Apostle Paul, of everything that he's saying right now. He just mentions those cities and Timothy's thinking, wow, just one after the other, just one crisis, one difficult circumstance, one next series of opposition, one after the other. He would have been familiar with it. He would have known it. He's painting a picture of the difficulties, and yet this call to persevere in the midst of them. And then, in, in case you missed it, don't miss this. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. I missed this the first couple times I read this. We don't normally talk like this. Normally we say, I was about to get stoned and God rescued me. I was, I almost got in this car accident. God rescued me. I did get stoned and he rescued me. I did endure persecutions. And he rescued me. That's not how we think typically. There's a, a little bit of, I don't know, a paradox or something there. How do we understand what he's saying in verse 11? As one commentator says, God had indeed rescued him from death and quite possibly from disobedience to his calling. From death, disobedience. Could have died, didn't die. But I think more than just rescuing him from death, I think that the possibility, the temptation to disobey, 
God can rescue me from disobedience? How does that work with human responsibility? Well, that's where human responsibility collides with the sovereignty of God. He can do that. He can rescue me from disobeying. Yeah, he can. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart. The king's heart is like a stream in the hand of the Lord. The Lord just turns it wherever he wills to turn it. He can rescue Paul from disobedience, from death. And you've got to think about the temptation to disobey his calling. I don't know how many of us, if we were called by God to do something radical, would do it once we started facing this opposition. Like, oh, I, I might... I might spend the next seven years in a Pakistani prison not seeing my children, my five children, like I see a BB because I'm a Christian. If I keep persevering in the faith, I might, uh, yeah, I don't think so, right? I might get stoned. I might get killed. I might get treated like a just garbage, like an animal if I continue to obey God and His calling. There's got to be huge temptation there to say, not what I signed up for. Peace out. That'd be huge temptation. For Paul, when he's hitting city after city after city, and he's being beat up, he's being harassed, being name-called, being driven out of the city, being left for dead, there's going to be, I don't know, a little temptation for him to just say, yeah, okay, I'm done. But I endured. The Lord rescued me. Kept me alive, rescued me from death. No doubt, I think the implication that I don't want us to miss is rescued me from the temptation to even disobey. Not necessarily how we speak, not necessarily how we use such words, but as one commentator notes, the Lord ever rescues his people frequently from death. Sometimes by means of death. We don't talk like that. You died? You didn't get rescued. You got beat up? Okay, they, the rescuer showed up late. What are we missing? I think we're missing this foundational piece that says, Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Dying is not gain. If I die, I die. There's no gain in that. What is Paul thinking when he says these things, when he says he's been rescued, but it seems like God was way late on rescuing him? We see it all in the wrong terms, that even if Paul dies, he would say, that's that's the very best thing, because I get to be with Jesus, to live, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Why is death gain to Paul? What does he understand that we don't? We often miss, why is dying gain? And I think the answer is, dying is gain because he gets to be with Jesus in a much more fuller and experiential way. It's be with Jesus. And that's better than anything else. It's far better than anything else. So, yes, he's been rescued. Rescued for the fact that death could have occurred. But more than that, I think the fact that there are serious temptation to say, yeah, after these three cities, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm packing my bags. But he doesn't do that. 
It's the temptation that we all face. Opposition that if it hasn't come, it will come to stop persevering in our faith when becoming a Christian, or rather, when being a Christian becomes more challenging. It's not very challenging because we live in America. But go try and be a Christian in North Korea. And let's see if the 70 people in this room are still in this room, or if that number doesn't dwindle down to half, or a third, or a fourth, because we say, not what I signed up for, I'm out. shouldn't be a surprise, but it's a shock to so many people. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You want to live a godly life? Okay, well, then you're going to experience opposition. They may take your life. While evil people, verse 13, and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What? These evil imposters, these people, these imposters, are the people that he described in sermon number 9, in the previous section, in verses 1 through 9, in case you forgot them, and how... up outstanding they were. These are the people that he's describing here. These evil people, just read a quick summary and follow along. I'm just going to go back. People will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, you know, acting like Christians, you know, faking it, being a hypocrite, not actual Christians at all. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They lead them astray. They oppose the truth, just as Janice and Jamboree oppose Moses. And they're going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, deceiving others and being deceived. Here's the reality in this world. Evil exists. And maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is ISIS or or radical Islam or terrorism. But I would argue that there is something more dangerous. And it's these imposters, these wolves in sheep's clothing, whose books shall sell on the shelves of Lifeway, whose music you may listen to on Christian radio, And they're dangerous. And they're dangerous and they oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. So, so get this and understand this back to verse 12. You're going to face opposition. You want to live a, a godly life? You're going to face opposition. It's going to be a little challenging. Perhaps for some of us more than others. So we should expect it. We should expect it. We should be prepared for it. 
Many of us are not prepared. Many of us, many of us are just not prepared. Many of us would probably sell out in a heartbeat. This is the point that Paul is picture he's painting. Timothy, listen, you've done such a great job following me and all these examples. Keep following me. Keep persevering in the faith. But oh, by the way, here's the reality that things may get more difficult for you. So, keep going. Things may get more difficult. Keep, so keep, keep going in the midst of such difficulty. It shouldn't be a surprise. Shouldn't be a surprise that the world hates us. It hated Jesus. It nailed him to a cross and killed him. You follow Jesus, the world will hate you too. And yet, and yet here we are again. And we suppose that there we are, catching a pass and walking into the end zone unopposed. Just, just catching that pass. And walk into the end zone unopposed. And, and we think that no one's going to try to chase us down or tackle us. So many of us live our Christian lives. <clears throat> Just, we're going to walk into the end zone unopposed. We're, it's going to be the easiest touchdown ever. Okay, it doesn't make much sense in a football game. Um, why would you think that would be true in our Christian lives? Like, we're supposing that we're in this garrison sort of environment. Okay? Garrison versus in theater, like in a combat zone, in a war zone. We think we're in this garrison in environment stateside. Which there's no need to be careful. Because we're not going to come under attack. And we get into this thinking which tells us that it's not wartime, it's peacetime. After all, this is the season of Christmas. Christmas, we like Christmas, and all the, the goodness and peace and goodwill toward men that, that comes, and, and we think, <laughs> it's not wartime, it's peace time, it's Christmas time, I like Christmas. And then like the Hessians celebrating Christmas in Trenton, only to be caught off guard by Washington and the Continental Army, or like the Greeks and the surprise attack at Troy. We're totally caught off, and we're totally unprepared for the reality that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So keep going. Keep persevering. Oh, by the way, I think one of the key ingredients to do this, because after all, we know it's going to be difficult, is that we are the sort of person that Timothy is. Timothy's being committed because he's following Paul. And many of us don't. We waste so much of our lives and we don't follow godly examples that God provides for us. We need to be like Timothy, not just in the sense that he is very much tracking Paul, following Paul, imitating Paul, watching Paul's life, learning, observing, but that we are the type of person worth following. You want to make disciples? Hopefully you do. Right? Because people are going to hell. Oh, by the way, because your king commanded you to. You want to make disciples? You can't effectively make disciples if you're not being 
discipled, if you're not like Timothy in this way, following the godly examples that God provides for his people through the church. Oh, that we might stop wasting our time. Oh, that we might start being like Timothy, not just in his following, but in him being the sort of person worth following. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You want to be prepared for that opposition? Then pull together and remember that God has already provided for you everything that you need. A spirit of not of fear, because I imagine it's pretty scary to be in this sort of situation, this climate, this world. Paul's in prison. Prison, on death row essentially. Yeah, that's scary. But to know God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and of love, of self-control. So keep going, keep persevering, no matter what. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. Help us to be like Timothy. Just a guy who struggles, who has his own challenges, who has his own temptations that he faces. Help us to be like him in that He understood that following doesn't happen automatically. It requires us to stand up on our feet. God, help us to be a person worth following. We might set an example for others by being an example of what right looks like. And we need your help because this is a really difficult task. So help us to remember this story. Help us to be prepared when opposition comes. We need you, Jesus. Help us, Jesus.